Hello and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Um, and this is going back to your five I wills, uh, the, the five I wills of Satan. So if you have your notes on the five I wills of Satan, um, you, you saw in there what he ascribed and what he had uh, told everybody as far as the angels are concerned, what he wanted to do, what his aspirations were. And so the last one we talked about is to be like God. We talked about authority, but the way the tactic you have to look at, the way Satan will work against you and in your personal life and in our society, as you can see, is he will work to establish authority in your life, but that authority will be established through authoritarianism, okay? Um, Let me ask you this, as far as the application of this is concerned. Is leadership, is leadership earned or is it given? It's, it's earned. It's earned. Authority will be given, but leadership is earned. Authority will be given. Just like Joe Biden has authority, it was given to him, okay? But as far as leadership, what do you think? No, right? It's, it's like, no, he's like totally wasted, man, as far as a leader, man. He's no leader at all. He's a puppet. Okay, so what you have to see is that even in your own personal life, that leadership is always earned. You have to earn credibility with people, and you do it through the biblical model of being a good person, having character, having values, and things of that nature. Okay, so that earns you leadership ability or leadership credibility. What Satan does is try to counterfeit given authority by giving leadership to people who are not leaders. That's one of his hallmarks. And instead of people you know, learning through the ropes and, and through the, the trials and tribulations of how to lead a, their family, how to lead a company, how to lead a church, how to lead any organization. You have to put your time in. You have to earn your stripes, so to speak, right? You've, you've got to pay the price. You've got to be in the, 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 the ditches and the, the foxholes with everybody else to earn your stripes, to get respected, in leadership, okay? So classic case in point is David, right? He was very respected because of how much of a warrior he was and how, how great he fought. And he was respected for taking on Goliath. That was earned, right? So what'll happen in your life is this, is that Satan will try to either install people around you who've never earned the right to be a, a leader, to have any leadership, and he will surround you with that type of individual to tempt you to take the shortcut as well. Because in his system, 
He will always exalt people who don't need to be exalted. Actually, they shouldn't be exalted in God's program. But because it's the satanic program, it's his system, his system rewards its own. And so it will, his system will actually pole vault people to the top without earning the right of that. Now, here's what Satan will do. He will come to the believer and say, look, everyone else is getting to the top of the rung. Everyone's climbing the ladder except you. And it's because you won't compromise here and there. That's why you won't go to the top. So he'll, he'll tempt you with a shortcut to the top of leadership rather than to wait on God to appoint you to leadership. And so it, his temptation will be jump jump all through the hoops past them and jump all the stairs and go directly to the top. Now, what is the problem with if you take the bait and you go to the top in leadership without having earned your stripes? You will fail at that position. That's what he wants, right? He puts people in position that can't do their job, they're failures, and they destroy companies, they destroy businesses, they destroy churches, they destroy ministries, they destroy all kinds of stuff because they haven't been trained how to be a leader. And so what he is good at is, in his system, is putting the wrong people in the wrong place. And in what happens is, when he gets them there, they do the most damage. That's what he's wanting them to do, is do the most damage as they do his will. So just like within America, we have leaders that are doing the most damage as possible, right? Uh, and they're in concert with doing his will to destroy things. Okay, so that's one thing I want to talk about. So authoritarianism will be then the hallmark of the system. So authoritarianism is seen in um, one person has all the control, okay? That's the system he likes, that one person has all the control. And, and with that being said, it's easier for him to control that one person if one person's in control. What God wants uh, in authority is to spread out the authority into local jurisdictions. So like in a church, the ultimate in a church would be a local congregation rather than a denomination. Because a denomination, he can control the entire dom denomination. Look at the Catholic Church. Control one man, you control the entire Catholic Church. Right? That's, that's authoritarian. And so what you want with authority is a spreading out of authority. So his system will concentrate power into one person or even a bureaucracy. So, for instance, like people here today uh, that work for the state, there's no local control here because it's coming from Sacramento. That's called authoritarianism. Or, or um, you know, a federal government making the calls for something going on here in California or even in the school systems. That's called authoritarianism. And even our founders even knew that that was wrong. They didn't want federalism. Federalism is a bad thing. Statism is a bad thing. You want local control because it diffuses authority. And so if you had diffused authority, if one authority goes bad, then that's okay because the other ones will correct it. So for instance, it would be better ultimately if, if you and I ran the Kern High School District 
is to divorce itself from Sacramento, divorce itself from the federal government, and put each local school in control of their personal school. Having their own board, having their own, having their own parental influence on that local school. So you wouldn't have a current high school district. You would have, you have Liberty, you have Centennial, and they uh, have their own authority at that point in time. So if one of the schools goes bad, then that's on them, and the other schools are still good. But the problem is, if you have Sacramento controlling like the current high school district, it controls everything, and everything's bad. You see how that works? So authoritarian is the thing that you want to resist. This is leadership 101. But Satan does the reverse. He puts the wrong people in the spots, has its centralized power in a person or a bureaucracy, and the bureaucracy is typically meant for to, con to confuse you so you can't pinpoint the leader. You don't know who's in charge here. You don't know. And so that's, that's a, a tactic of Satan. So that's one of the things I, I wanted to bring out about that. The second thing I want to bring out is, is, is his system is a system of power. There's no right and wrong in the satanic system. In Satan's mind, all that matters is power, okay, and who has it. And those who have the power get to determine what the right and wrong is. So that's, that's the, how the game's played. So when you deal with people in the world that, and they have no moral compass, they have no sense of morality, especially these politicians or whatever, they, uh, you have to understand they're power-based individuals. They're not moral-based individuals. So their, their idea is to get power in the next election or get power through money and power through um, you know, lobbyists or whatever you want to call it. And so power then is the goal then that power must be seized from others because the individual that's being tempted by Satan to have power doesn't have power of themselves. And so the way Satan gets power is, is through stealing it. And so he teaches people how to steal that power from other people. So right now, our rights, our power to our rights are being stolen by people who don't like us to have that kind of power because that kind of power makes us independent of them. So they, what do they want to do? Steal our power. And the way they steal our power is through our rights. They take rights away. That's what the mandates are about, right? That's what the whole thing is about, losing your rights. And, and, and so the game is about seizing power. So in your own life, the temptation that you come to you with is a temptation to have power in order to free yourself from the dredges of, of your life, from the trials and tribulations. Well, if you had more money, if you were more famous, if you were more popular, if you were more this, more that, whatever, then you wouldn't have to struggle in this life. So the temptation is, I'll offer you power if you just make a deal with me. And the power will be, uh, you know, it could be anything. A position in a company. It could be climbing the ladder of success. It could be money. It could be whatever. But what you, what you start seeing is there's a lot of people playing this game. They want to escape things in their life. Yeah, a lot of people are struggling through life. I get it. Everybody struggles in life. But those who finally protested enough, finally 
succumb to the temptation, well, I'll just gain power by myself and free myself from the ceiling that I'm at. And so whether that's to cheat in business, whether that's, um, um, I don't know, to, to find some underhanded way of making money, I don't know, having a certain relationship, start playing the game with people in, in the, 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 the society. I'll give you a, a kind of a, 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 an idea of what's going on in a lot of the churches, uh, especially in the, the Bible Belt. And pastors tell me about this, and other people that are in the Bible Belt churches talk about this, because there's kind of a cultural Christianity going on in the Bible Belt. Everybody's a Christian, right? And the problem is most people go to church not to hear a sermon, not to get edified. They actually go to church to actually have networking going on. Because that's where you meet your plumber. That's where you meet your doctor. That's where you meet your carpenter. That's where you meet this guy. That's where you meet God. And what happens is, I'm not saying it's all like that, but the reports back to me from pastors in these churches in the Bible Belt tell me that on Sunday morning, it's just a networking thing. You might as well have a job fair because that's what everybody's doing. They're networking through the church and through that relationships. Because in the Bible Belt, you want to be seen as going to church. You don't want to not be seen not there. That's, that's the, you want to be there. Even though you don't care what's going on in there, you have to be seen being there because that's part of how you stay in the community and that's how you, that's how you do networking. So going to church then is simply a game. It's not real. But it is for power because you're going to make those connections there to network, get to know people, get your kid a job, whatever it might be. So it's a power thing. Next thing, control, but through aggression and slavery. And so to be like God, he wants control. See, all these are attributes of God. God has authority, God has power, God has control. He wants them, but he tries to get control um, through aggression and slavery. And so this is where um, you'll see people be very aggressive trying to get control of things, whether it's a politician, whether it's Antifa, the Black Lives Matter mobs, or whatever, they'll be very aggressive for control. And then once they get control, they enslave. That's the idea. Because you can't have in this system people with freedom, so you have to then turn them into slaves. So everything Satan does is to turn human beings into slaves. Everything God does is try to get human beings to be free. Free spiritually, free physically. But their modus operandi is enslavement. Enslavement spiritually to sin and enslavement to other people. So, so for instance, as an example, you can see what's going on in our country as an example. Okay? There are groups of people that are politicians enslaved that are enslaved here. And they like them to be enslaved. They will never tell them the truth. And they always keep them down. They always blame others and keep them a victim. So when they perpetrate victim mentality on certain people groups in our country, it makes them a slave to the system. They're a slave to the welfare system. They're a slave to the, hand, the government handouts. And right now, what's going on on our southern border is, is, a, is an absolute disaster. But what, what do they want to do with those people? 
They want to make them into slaves. Well, well, not, you know, plantation type of mentality. That's not it. No, no, the slave, the slave trade right now is a little bit different. It's more sophisticated. The slave trade is based on how you will vote. Okay? That's how the slave trade is being done. And so our southern border disaster that's happening, the reason, you know, obviously they're, they're not uh, turning anyone back and you have a major crisis on our border right now, is because all of them are voters. Give them free stuff, make them dependent on us, that's turning them to a slave, and then they will vote for us. That's the slave mentality that's going on in America. Okay? That's really what's happening. No one sees it. They just think, oh, we're, they're being benevolent towards people. No, they're not. They could care less about these people under a bridge. They could care less. All they care about is they go to the polls. That's, that's it. That's called slavery. But that's when you see that, that is, is a satanic tactic. Control through aggression and slavery. Four, compliance through fear. Satan wants people to obey him. But he's not benevolent like God. God uh, has people obey him because they love him, right? So obedience to God is through love. But with Satan, no one can love him. Everyone hates him. And so the only way he can get compliance from people is to make them afraid. I mean, what, what we've seen in the last two years is complete fear from people. They've, they've ramped up the coronavirus. It was like going to kill everybody. And then I'll show you the numbers, the new VAERS numbers that came out. It's like this thing's a non-issue, man. It's a nothing burger as far as lethal, lethality. Um, it's, it's ridiculous based on the numbers. And these are from VAERS. I'll show you them in the next, next uh, uh, segment. Um, but compliance through fear. Look, if, if, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go to uh, New York or you can't f travel. You can't do this. You can't do that. We're going to seg segregate you out of society. Oh, I don't want to be segregated out of society. I don't want to lose my job. That's all fear right there. Getting compliance through fear. That's what Satan is doing right now. This is what the left, this is what the Babylonians do. Um, and so anytime that you see this tactic, it's the tactic of Satan. Get them afraid. Five, Satan wants worship, but he, he can only do it through deception. God desires worship because of who he is, and he deserves all worship. Satan wants to steal the worship, and so in order to steal worship, you have to deceive human beings. Why? Because one of the cursings that Satan received in Genesis chapter 3 is that there was enmity between him and the woman. Remember that? I will put enmity between you and the woman. So there's a natural aversion of human beings to the satanic realm, to demons, to fallen angels. So because there's a natural aversion to it, just like you have a natural aversion to actually seeing a snake, which most people do, uh, the first reaction to seeing a snake is they jump back, typically. Um, but we, we have a natural aversion to the occult. Well, what happens is, since he cannot come like he did to Eve, he has to then come to you in deception. He has to come to you as an angel of light. He has to come to you in the form of someone that wants to help you, someone that wants to pretend to be on your side. And so he gains worship through deception. 
this is what we're having a problem in the, in the church right now, is we're having people, pastors, churches, um, basically causing, I don't know how you put it, causing Christians to divert their worship to something else, to a perversion, to a sin, to something else. So, like, for instance, many of the churches now are supportive of LGBT. Many of the churches now are supportive of critical race theory. Many of the churches are supportive of non-literal interpretation of Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2. And, and so when, you, when people do that, they're introducing false doctrine, but what it does is it steals worship. It steals worship away from the Creator. And so anytime false doctrine is, is, is given away from the pulpit, it steals, it steals worship. Um, and so we're having a big problem right now in, in, in America because you can't trust the pulpits. That's called uh, deception, obviously, but it's stealing worship. That's at the heart of deception. Now, the other thing that's going on in society, if you jump from the church to society, there is a stealing of worship now, and it's scientism, okay? The term scientism is the religion, part of the religion of Babylon, and what it is is a denial of the creator of the Bible, but a, a worship of science, technology, artificial intelligence, innovations, engineering, and the idea that, that man can be eventually merged into AI. So scientism now is carrying the day. That's why you have these people that are, are so-called scientists or medical doctors or whatever um, claiming that they know what's right, even though the, the, sci the real science and the evidence doesn't back them up. But the problem is they're practicing a religion. It's called scientism. And what they're doing is they're scaring enough people in order to bow a knee and comply to it. Well, when people bow a knee to scientism, okay, then they're still, the society is stealing worship from God by getting them to believe in something that's not true. So right now, the biggest thing that's coming, obviously we know the vaccines and everything, but the other big thing they're going to start pushing on people, they're really going to start ramping this up, is the, the whole climate issue. Okay, that's, that's the next thing that they're going to push on you. And they're going to push it on in a big way. And I'll show you tonight later on what they have plans for climate. Um, anyway, what they're saying is, okay, we're responsible for anthropocentric global warming. And that's a fallacy. There is no man-made glo global warming. Um, there's no proof of that anymore. It, it's all directed from the sun, the atmosphere, and things of that nature that heat and cool the planet. Just Genesis 8.22 is your key verse on that. But nonetheless, they want you to believe that you have a part in contributing to rising seas, hotter air, and now it's, it's, it's basically planned climate change. It's anything. If it snows, it's climate change. If it doesn't snow, it's climate change. If it rains, it's climate change. If it doesn't rain, it's climate change. It doesn't matter. It's just all weather, pan weather is all climate change now, okay? That's the hoax. Okay, what happens then is if you start complying with that lie, you in effect give worship over to scientism. That's what starts happening. That's why it's so important to be on the right side of the issues, okay? 
This, Christians that, that, that say, well, I believe in Jesus and I believe in the Trinity, but then they're wrong on the issues, don't realize that they're giving worship away by believing in something false. God doesn't want that. He wants you to be on the right side of things. He wants you to know the facts and evidence. God's not holding back. He wants you to know about what's going on with, with the climate and know that they're lying to you. They've been lying. They got caught so many times, it's, it's not even funny. But this has been going on since Rio de Janeiro in 1992. It's Agenda 21, Agenda 30. It's all that. It's all their junk. And so um, it's all a lie being perpetrated. Okay, so if someone's a Christian and says, I got to do my part in saving the planet, that's a stealing of worship. That, that's a stealing of worship. Now, there's, we can go on and say, no, we can be, we're stewards of the planet. That's true. The planet is given unto us to have dominion. We're to harness the natural resources of the planet, like whether that's oil, uh, coal or gas or oil or whatever. We have a right to do that. And, and so if someone buys in, you know what? We shouldn't be, we're going to go to wind and we're going to go to solar. That's insane. It's just insane. How are you going to pay for that, number one? And two, you have all these, these, these coal beds, oils, gas from Noah's flood that God left to us, and we're just not going to do anything with them? That's a violation of the dominion mandate. The dominion mandate means that the earth and its resources are given unto man to harness, and man is not going to deplete them. He will not deplete them. There's too much of it. And, and so they used to say, oh, we're going to run out of oil. You're not, there's, there's tons of it now. Just, they found tons of it, tons of go, uh, gas, tons of oil, all coming from Noah's flood. There was a blessing in Noah's flood to us today because of all that. But no, they want to get off of that. We want to go to electricity. Oh, you want to go to electricity. Why? Because we're going to save the planet. Really? We're going to save the planet through electricity. It's crazy. Because what will happen is when we switch to electricity and we get off gas, we get off oil, we get off uh, coal, whatever, fossil fuels, and you get onto electricity, then guess what? Control and slavery. Because then someone can control your electric in your home like they do in third world countries where at night they might get an hour worth of electricity and then the rest of the time it's all shut off. Oh, that's why you want us off coal. That's why you want us off gas and fossil fuels. Oh, I get it. That's why we're, we're now asking, you know, uh, we're not uh, uh, independent, uh, independently uh, energy, energy independent because you want us to be a slave to electricity. And get rid of nuclear power as well. See, you see the whole thing is it's a deception. Worship through deception. Six, help but through victimhood. Satan wants to help, but he does it for an alternative reason than just being benevolent. He wants them to be enslaved, but he wants to turn them into a victim. God helps people, but he doesn't ever turn them into victims. God helps people, he never enables. And so he, God will not do what he expects you to do. So if you lost your job, your job is to get a resume put together and start beating the bushes looking for a job. 
Now, in the process of you, you doing that, he will bring the job to you. But if you're going to sit on the couch and ask, uh, act like he's going to just bring it to you and while you're sitting on the couch, it doesn't happen that way because he won't do what you're responsible to do. So Satan, what he does is say, now, now, you're just a baby. This is too rough of a life for you. And so you just sit right there and I'll bring everything to you. Because poor you, you're a victim. And there's nothing you can do to escape this. Just blame the man. And then we'll, I'll try to help you as much as I can. But don't ever lose the identity of that you're a victim. When you're a victim, you can play that card any day. And it works in my system, he says. And so what happens is you have a whole mess of, identi uh, of identity people who believe they're victims. They can't achieve anything in life. They were born a victim. Oppressor versus oppressed. They're oppressed. They can't do anything. They can't rise to the top. That's satanic. It is satanic to think you're a victim. Now, does God take into account that things happen to you? Of course he knows things happen to you. Of course. But let me give you an illustration to understand how God deals with that. You and I go through a lot of rough patches in life. There's no doubt about that. We all got it. We all went through them. We all are going through them. Okay. So does God say, well, just forget it and just move on? No. God is, will acknowledge, yes, you will, were hurt. Yes, you went through a lot of trials and tribulations. Yes, you did. We will acknowledge that. And I agree. But it is like God is going to the side of your bed and you've been hit by crossing the street by a drunk driver. It wasn't your fault. You were just crossing the street. You went across that street and you were hit by a drunk driver. And now you're laying in the hospital bed. And God is at the bedside saying, yep, man, that was no good. A drunk driver hit you really bad. But then what? Does Jesus just say, I'll be praying for you, man. See you later. What does he do? Because you're in the bed. You, 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 you have both legs broken. You've been hit by a car. And you truly are hurt. What do you think Jesus would say to you? It's this. Okay, I acknowledge that you've been hit. But when are we going to start rehabbing you to get out of this bed? When are you going to get out of that bed and start learning to walk again? That's what Jesus says to you. He doesn't let you be a victim. He acknowledges the hurt, and he says, look, I have the tools. I have the ability. I will provide everything, but I need you to get up out of that bed and start trying to walk again because you're responsible for getting out of that bed. Satan wants you to stay in that bed. Claim victimhood for the rest of your life, and then you're, no, you're useless at that point. Yeah, so, so Jesus will not have a pity party with you. He will acknowledge it, and he says, okay, get up. Remember Joshua? He did this with Joshua. Do you remember what Joshua did? He's crying out to the Lord. I, don't, I can't understand why we lost to uh, I. I they, they, they throttled us, and I thought we could win, and he's crying out. And what does the Lord do? The captain of the Lord's army appears before Joshua and says what to him? The first thing he says, ah, oh, there, 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 poor baby. I'm so sorry, man, I, 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 I can't believe you guys lost. I'm so bad. Did he say that? 
Now, what does he say? Get up. Whoa, get up. Okay, you have a problem. And your problem is you have sin in the camp. That's why you don't win. Go deal with it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Does that, does that sound very different compared to what the world would tell you? You can, you can see the strength of saying, look, we need to take care of business. You need to take care of business. You, you need to get on this, get back in your saddle, get on your horse, and we're going to figure this one out. So what you see from God is he never enables, he never makes anyone a victim, he makes them responsible, and Satan makes people irresponsible with their lives and a life of destruction. Seven, identity. Identity. God gives us our identity. He tell, and we've spent some time on this, so I'm not going to backtrack too much on this, but he gives us our identity. We're, we're valuable to him, but yet we're flawed, okay? So we're made in his image, yet we're sinners. We have incredible talent. We have incredible gifts, but we're weak. We're temptable. And so there's this balance in the Bible of knowing who we are, but knowing how valuable we are to God, even though we're flawed, we're we're. Uh, we have problems, but he still loves us, values us, and values us so much they died for us. And if you're a Christian, then you have a whole new identity in the Messiah, um, and there's like 75 different things uh, about that identity in the Scriptures. What Satan does is he also wants to give you an identity, but it's a different one. What he wants to do is steal your real identity, made in the image of God, and, and change that to not made in the image of God, but made in the image of an animal. Okay? You're nothing, you're nothing but an animal. You're nothing but just flesh. That's it. Steals your identity. And if you're a believer, he'll try to deceive you into your, from your identity in Christ. So the big thing he does for believers is he blinds them to all those different passages about who they are in Christ. So a lot of Christians who don't know who they are still live with a false identity. And your identity is the key thing in your spiritual walk with the Lord. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know where you're going. If you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're at in the present. If you don't know where you're at, where at in the present, you don't know where you're going. So the whole thing is wrapped up in your identity. Where did I come from? What am I doing? Where am I going? That's all encompassed in your identity. If you don't know those answers, if you don't know God's plan for you, you don't know God's mission for you, you don't know what he wants out of your life, you don't know the gifts he's given you, you don't know who you are, all the positions that you have, then Satan will prey on that. He hopes you're ignorant of all that because then he can change your identity and give you a false identity. What are these false identities? Well, there are a lot of them. I'll just name a few, but there's a lot of false identities Satan will give to people. One is, I don't matter. Number two, I, I'm not valuable. Three, I'm all messed up. Four, 
I'm ashamed of what I've done. Five, I'm a know-it-all. Six, I have to control things. Seven, um, I don't know, I can just keep going on. Um, I'm perform per, uh, performance-oriented. My identity is in my work. That's why I'm a workaholic, right? My identity is helping people, but really what it is is enabling people. Well, I like to help. Why? Because I like to be needed. Really, that's why you help is because you like to be needed. That's called codependency. You need to help people because they need help, not because you get something from the help. You see what he does? He twists helping and changes it into codependency. So the person will have a codependency identity. They need to be needed. If you ever hear someone say, I need to be needed, that's enablement. They will start enabling people. They won't help people. They will actually enable people. So you get those identities that he gives you through life, and then that becomes what you wear. This is how you do things. So, for instance, let's talk about a controlling identity. A controlling identity has to cross every T and dot every I. Now, that, you might say, well, that's their personality. But when it starts getting into spilling into the streets, it's more than, it's more than just how they do their job and that work. It's more of how they organize their entire life. And before you know it, um, their entire life has no room for faith. They won't move forward unless they have every T crossed and every I dotted. So basically, the person will not operate on faith. They're a non-faith identity. And James would say that their faith is dead. Not that they're unbelievers, but that they have their faith doesn't produce anything for them. They are saved, but because their faith is dead and not active, it doesn't do anything. And the reason it's dead is because they want total security before they make a move. And that we call sometimes even a security identity. That that person simply seeks security all their life. That's who they are. That's how they build their life. I'll give you an example. Gal um, got raped um, when she was in, uh, in high school. And she vowed to her from that, uh, that uh, occurrence that she will never be vulnerable again. Okay? So she took on an identity of protection. And so what she did from that point on, she never dated anybody at that point on, from that point on, I should say. And then to protect herself more, she went into the army because she was going to learn how to defend herself and protect herself. And she became career military. She gets out, doesn't marry, and the rest of her life stays in her house Security cameras all around, dogs all around, and she stayed bunkered into her home the rest of her life. That's called a security ident identity. Because of what happened to her. She lived enslaved to her own desire for security and protection. Well, who gives you security and protection? God does. But she wouldn't trust him enough because in her mind, how would God allow her to be raped so she couldn't trust him. She can't trust any man. So that's what set her on the path was her identity. 
So your identity is extremely important in who you, in who you are. Uh, this is why the, the Bible will say you're no longer um, the old self, you're a new creation in Christ, because it wants you to incorporate the new identity. Because if you don't, you will be taken by Satan through all of it, because he steals identity. Now, what does he want to do? He wants to give you a fake one. And when you have a fake one, then you start operating on that fake one. And usually the fake one is a front. You front, this is what you front to people. And so what people see is not the real you, they only see the front. And so you, typically the, uh, the front is performance-based, whatever it might be. Oh, that person is very helpful. Oh, that person is very uh, industrious. Oh, that person is very, uh, I don't know, nice, whatever it might be. Whatever thing you front with is what we will front. You, you, and the people will never see the real person. They will only see the front so you never see the person having any emotions, really. They never can empathize or sympathize. They, they can't connect well. They'll talk to you, but you can't connect to them on an uh, interpersonal level because they won't let you in. They won't let you in because they have a front. They don't want anyone in. They want you to see this person out here. And so they keep people away with their front, like that. And some people front spirituality. The way they front spirituality is they are constantly doing stuff, working in ministry, but you'll never see them actually ever one-on-one -on -one with anybody. They will always be in ministry, but not one-on-one -on -one ministry. And they'll be spinning 17 plates, and they'll look very spiritual, but they're actually keeping people back because of the busyness of ministry. So that's sometimes how it happens, unfortunately. So with that being said, these are the seven things that Satan will do when he wants to become, well, he's trying to become like God. This is what he'll attempt you to do in his schema. Um, anyway, any other questions before we move on? You all good there? Yes. Toxic faith. Good. Toxic faith. Yes, back there, Richard. Yes. Slavery. Yes. Conformity is slavery by consent. That's right. It sure is. And yeah. the other one, you were talking about helping others. Uh, helping ourselves is is the way we can help. Helping others is is the best way we can help ourselves. Yes. As long as you're not helping others for a reward that you get for being needed, that's a biggie. When you ask yourself, why am I helping? Ask yourself the real motives. Am I helping because I just want to help this person? Or am I helping because this actually satisfies a need in me to be needed? Hmm. Okay. Anything else on that? Okay. Clear as mud. Yeah, right there. How do you take someone's front down? Well, there's two things, two, two approaches, I would say. If you notice someone is fronting you and you can't get on in the inside, um, the first thing you have to do is see what door is open. The first thing is you want to see 
if the empathizing door is open. Now, what does that mean? The person who's fronting is afraid of people. And what they really feel is that people can't understand where they're coming from. They, they, they're not understandable. Uh, people can't relate to what they've went through. And they don't trust anybody. Well, how do you build trust with somebody that doesn't trust anybody? You first have to do it through empathy. You have to empathize. So, okay. So, um, how would I start a conversation with somebody? Well, if I knew they're fronting, I would say, tell me a little bit about your life. Where'd you grow up? You grew up in Bakersfield. Did you like it? How'd you like your family? Parents good? They treat you bad. Probably eight out of ten, they're going to say bad. No joke. That's just the way it is. Um, degenerate parents are just all out in the society, just a bunch of degenerates. Um, you should, I mean, talk to the, the teachers in schools. They'll tell you what the kids are going through. It's a disaster in their, these people's homes. It's just a complete disaster. Some of the things you hear is just, oh, my goodness, how do these kids live in those environments? So the first thing is, okay, so I'm going to go through empathy. I want to hear them tell me about their life, and what I'm looking for is I'm looking for pain. So what happened? Well, my parents got divorced, and uh, that was real traumatic. And, and you know, uh, I, how old were you? I was 10. Okay, so what happened, man? Well, I went and lived with my mom, or I lived with my dad, and then we got split up. Then mom and dad got remarried, and they brought a whole host of other people into the family. And all of a sudden, one day, I had all these new brothers and sisters here, and I don't know who they are. And then eventually, my mom and dad divorced again from their, their second mates, and then they brought in another uh person married, and then they brought in a whole new set of kids, and they became my other new stepbrothers and sisters. What are you looking for when you hear that? That's pain. That's a destroyed family. And so what I'm going to say, uh, to empathize, boy, it sounds like you had a rough upbringing. So I'm going to right there to the heart. So the person to gain trust is, can I relate to them? And you would say, and you know, something similar in my life happened too. I feel that kind of pain because this is, this is what happened. So I open up. I open up and I share something about myself. All of a sudden, the person says, this person is opening up to me. They're listening to me. I might be willing to take a chance to open up with them. And then that's how you work that in. Okay. The other thing, if you want to tick them off, <laughs> which you probably don't want to do, but let's say you're dealing with somebody and you've had enough of the front. You've had enough of it. They're always right. You ever deal with someone like that? Always right. Everyone's wrong. So in that situation, I'm going to give the law. In another situation where I did empathy, I'm giving grace. But if I notice the person is prideful and arrogant and stubborn and no one can get through them, so I come after them with the law. Because prideful people don't think they ever make mistakes, right? They don't ever make a mistake. So in my course of talking with them, I will do the same thing. Tell me about your life. Well, I did this and I did that. And, and you know, um, you know I, 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 I really, you know, when I was a teenager, man, I go, yeah, how was your teenage years? Man, I, I don't know. I went crazy. Um, I was very promiscuous in, in high school. But, you know, everyone is. Everyone is. So, uh, you know, 
I get, you get past that season of life and, and, and you're good now. Really, you know what that's called? That's called fornication. Have you repented of that? Well, you know, everyone, Brandon, goes through seasons of life where they're just, you know, crazy and out of their mind. Oh, really? Do you think it still affects you now? Well, what do you mean? Are you addicted to pornography? Eight out of ten, I'll be right. Just by stats. So what am I doing? I'm showing him that your front is a lie. Your front is fake. And I'm hitting you at the heart with the law, and the law will break you down. Now, you have to determine when you're talking to people who you're dealing with. Because you can't use the law on humble people, and you can't use humility on prideful people. I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Right? So you have to know how to break those walls down. Now, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but it will increase your chances if you know who you're dealing with. So with the woman at the well, what did Jesus do with the woman at the well? Grace first. Give me a drink of water. That's actually not an insult or not even a command. It's actually a, a courtesy and that he would even ask a Samaritan woman for a drink. That's actually a compliment that he would do that. So he compliments her, and then she gets into this whole thing, uh, the theological debate, whether it's the, the right place of worship is Jerusalem or there in Samaria. And he just basically diffuses the whole thing. He says, one day is coming when we're going to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Diffuses that, diffuses the controversy. Uh, it's more grace, because he could have pounded her. He could have said, you Samaritans are so off. You Samaritans are so off theologically, you don't even have the right place. Where would you get the insane idea that the place of worship was in Samaria rather than Jerusalem? Don't you read the Bible? He could have done that, and he would have been dead right. But what does he do? He doesn't go there. He, 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 he stops the controversy. Then what he moves, and he's just having a conversation, and, and then he says, go get your husband. Now, what is he using there? He's using law. Notice how he brilliantly segued from grace, grace, law. Did you see that? Go get your husband. Why, why is that law? Because she, he already knows the one she's living with is not her husband. He's going to convict her without even calling her out. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, you don't. And you've had five other ones before this guy. Boom, boom. Right? So law, law. But what, what's the point? The point is grace. She was humble. He gave grace, grace, but then correction after the grace. Boom. And the fact that he could, he could pinpoint that she had five husbands before that, Obviously, she said, you're the Messiah, and she, because he, that's omniscience right there. So if you'll, you'll learn how to deal with people in that, especially if they have fronts, you can break those fronts down. But first of all, you know, the empathetic one, they have to trust you. Well, how, how, let's, go, let's go on that one, because that's an easier one. The, the, the law one's pretty, pretty simple. But, uh, but this one, the easier, and I mean that getting to their heart. The first, there's got to be elements in your conversation with the person to open them, open them up. 
First is empathy, okay? You you're empathize. It means that I actually go into their shoes and I feel their pain. That's different than sympathy. Sympathy is, man, that's a tough deal, right? But then empathy goes one step further and goes into the person's shoes. Do you feel their pain? Okay? If the person can feel that you feel their pain, then they'll realize that you're empathizing with them. How do they know you're feeling their pain? Well, number one, there's got to be some type of understanding on your part. You have, to, you have to acknowledge what they went through. You have to acknowledge, boy, you have to be an active listener and understanding what they're telling you. Okay? You can't just gloss over when someone's telling you something bad happened to them. Oh, yeah, man, a lot of people go through bad stuff, you know, haha. No. You have to focus in on the pain. Okay. So then when you focus in on the pain, you have understanding. And if you have understanding, that gives you empathy. And then if you go past understanding, what you have to go to is what's next? What's your future plans? So when you're discussing somebody, you're looking at their past. How are they presently doing? And where are you going? So by acknowledging the person's past, where they're at in the present, what are you doing right now for that? How are you handling life? And what is your plans for the future? I've asked them past, present, and future all in the same thing. And it's typically the first time someone's asked them about past, present, and future. So all of a sudden, wait a second, this guy's listening to me, this gal's listening to me, and they want to know where I come from, where I'm at now, where I'm going. I've never had anyone do that. Not, they'll say, I haven't even had my parents ever do that to me. And so you bring that in. And then, and then at, at that point, the, the hard shell starts cracking because finally someone's able to listen to them. That's it. Someone's listening. You'll be shocked of how people don't listen to anybody. They go through life with not only blinders on, but with their fingers in the ear, not listening to anybody. That's a satanic deception, by the way. Because all you have to do is listen to somebody, because out of the mouth, what speaks? The heart. So if you get the person to talk enough, they'll spill out to you what the problem is. And just keep talking. Just have them talk. Talk. And it'll finally come out of their heart. They'll show you what they're concerned about. Tell me what you're afraid of in the future. Tell me what your fears are. Tell me what your goals are. Well, I want to do this with my life and what I'm afraid of. and I'm just going to lose my life. I'm going to be pleasing to my parents or this is going to happen to me. Oh, okay. So let's work through those fears. Let's talk about that. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. The Bible says, wait a second. Now I know I not only have someone that's empathizing and sympathizing me and understanding with me, wanting to know my past, present, and future, but now is giving me biblical advice that actually matches what I need. Bingo. That's what Jesus did. He did it on most of his occasions with people who were humble. So if you watch what Jesus was doing, that's exactly what he was doing. He's getting to the, and he could do it real quick. He gets to the heart of it. Get to the heart of the person. Get to the heart of the person. And then from, from there on, man, whether the person needs to be saved or not, you can lead them into the Lord uh, if that uh, comes, or you, you help them through a, a difficult time or whatever it might be. But that requires an investment on the listener's part, if that makes sense. You have to be invested in the person in order to get that out of them. 
Because if you're not invested, they'll know it. If you're not interested, they'll know, I'm not giving any information to this person. I don't trust them because look, they don't care. And so that's the way to go about opening somebody's tough exterior. Um, I've seen some of the toughest guys, some of the toughest gals that just had this real hard exterior. And, and when someone just listened to their story, they just completely opened up because no one really gave them the time of the day. Their parents didn't give them the time of the day. Their friends, their brothers and sisters didn't give them the time of the day. And it's terrible. But then you come along and give them that. Yeah. Well, that's a good time to invite them to church. Yeah. Like for salvation or absolutely to the Lord's prayer. They're open. Yeah. And they, and they got this thing that says, uh, nobody cares about what you know until they know that you care. That's right. Yeah. So and, yeah, and, and 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 you think about that. That's the work we have to do in evangelism. It, you know, you can't just pull the gospel gun out any time um, because you have to earn a hearing. Remember what I said about leadership. What did I say about leadership? What does the Bible support? That leadership is earned. That you earn the right to be heard. Well, how do you earn the right to be heard? You better connect. Because if you don't know how to connect you're not going to have the right to be heard. And, and again, that's different than authority. Authority is given. Leadership is earned. Okay, so at that point, you know, the, the person becomes soft. They, you can, they become pliable, actually. And, and then all of a sudden, you can get to the real issues in their life at that point. Um, so that's what Satan doesn't want happening. He doesn't want that happening. He doesn't want people connecting or at least knowing how to connect because it keeps people at a distance. Now, the tactic on the opposite side is, if Satan can pe keep people disconnected, he can then isolate them and say to them, see, no one understands you. No one gets you. You're a freak. You actually need to stay in the house. Don't go to church. If you do, come in late and leave early so you don't have to talk to anybody. Right? That's what I'll say. And just keep everyone at bay because you know what? It's you and me, kid, and we can't trust anybody. And you're right. So they'll isolate. Okay, what happens when, you, when a person isolates and they don't have any connections with anybody? What do you think happens to them personally? They die spiritually because they're not connected. And they start dying spiritually. And then what starts happening is their physical life will start getting worse. Their physical life will start depleting them. Um, we see high levels of, of medical problems with people who are isolated. They don't, they don't see anybody. They don't go out. They don't get around. They don't socialize. They don't connect, right? They don't connect. And what happens in that is they start physically dying. Now, this is why sometimes even people who lose uh, their mates um, will die within the next year or year and a half, right after their mate dies. Because what happens is they have that connection with their mate, their spouse, and then they die, but then they won't go out and look for other connections. I'm not talking about dating. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that's one thing you don't want to do, okay? You don't want to have a spouse that dies, and then you date the next month. 
No. No. Please don't do that. It's a big problem. That's called you're on the rebound. Doesn't work out well. Okay. So when I say that, okay, so I'll use that as an example. So someone's spouse dies, but then uh, they don't make connections with other friends of the same sex, okay, if that makes that clarifies it. They won't connect to their girlfriends if they're a female. They won't connect to the guys if they're a guy. And they stay isolated from that, from that other connection that they should get from the, uh, um, not the opposite sex, but the same sex. Um, if they don't do that, they will actually physically die. Stats will show within a year to two years. Their bodies just start going down. They start collapsing. They start having ailments and then they die because they wouldn't make other connections. And that's one of the main reasons. Another reason is their lack of purpose. That, you know, they just, they're enmeshed and then their lack of purpose dies with the spouse when the other spouse dies. But um, the connection is a big deal though. It's, it's the key thing. So what Satan does is he isolates people and then he kills them slowly. And that's what we're seeing with the younger generation. They, they, they're all isolated, and that's why they're so depressed, because all they do is sit in front of a TV, or they sit in front of their phone, or sit in front of a gaming thing, and that's all they do is isolate. Even though they think they're connected, they're really not, because there's no one out there listening to their heart. And so because of that, they become depressed, and that's why we're seeing teen suicides skyrocket like there's no tomorrow. Anyway, that's probably more than what you want to know, but um, that's, that's, all, that's all about connection, and that's what Satan tries to prevent. Um, so here's the deal, practical application. When you feel bad, the temptation will be to stay away from the body of Christ. That's what everyone feels. Now, I'm not talking about being sick or anything like that. Well, you just, ah, I just don't fill up to things, and it's not, I, I just want to see anybody. No, that's actually the time when you actually need to be in the body of Christ is when you feel that way. When you feel like isolating, actually force yourself to go to your Bible study, to go to your church or whatever it is, and sit there. And what will happen is the connection will actually make you feel better. It really will. You'll walk away out after church or after the Bible study. I'm glad I did that because, man, I was going low. And so that, that re-energizes you to face, you know, the battle again. So don't isolate. It's, it's, a, it's a satanic tactic on you. Okay. Any other questions, comments? Yeah. Yes. Hold on. Let me get Jim real quick. On your way? Yeah. Jim? Ty, uh, Ty is going to get you. on his horse right Here now and go. get you the mic. Okay, Ty. Yeah, Pastor, I want to comment exactly what you're saying. Carol did this for 20 years as the outpatient rehab speech therapist. She'd do this with every patient. She had thousands of them. And she, there was some real hardcore. And after she dealt with them, there wasn't a one that didn't become a friend. Yeah. Except for one who was an Islamist. And he didn't respect women at all. But everyone else, see, could talk to, connected with. Sure. It's amazing how they'd respond. And like you're saying, hardly anybody would ever listen to these people. No way. And Carol would listen. The next time she'd see them, she'd talk to them, remember what she said, like, like you're doing. I mean, like it you're se saying. It seems them. simple, yeah. but no one does it. <laughs> 
I wonder why. You know why? Selfish? We're into ourselves? Well, you guys are hard on each other, man. Wow. Go ahead. Get, get a mic to Richard. Um, Matthew five fourteen and 16. You are the light of the world. Let the light shine before others that you may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, so part of those good deeds would be reaching out to people. Okay, so yeah, so you guys mentioned, well, there, there's a reason why people don't do it. They're selfish, they're wrapped up into themselves. That's true, yeah, that, that is, there's a lot of variables out there. That is true. People are self-absorbed. They don't care about other people. That's another thing, right? Um, they just don't care. And, and, but the other thing, too, I'll add in some other variables to think about. Some people are afraid of connection because they don't know how to love. And so if they get connected, I mean, I'm, talking, I'm not even talking about romantic love. I'm talking about even agape, Philadelphia, uh, storge. Um, people won't connect because they're afraid that if that connection happens, they don't know how to give love because they've never actually received it themselves, so they don't know what they're doing in the relationship. And they will flounder. And so what do they do? They stay busy and they stay away from people and they stay active. Now, what does it mean that the person doesn't know how to love? Well, in order to love, what does the Bible say? We love because what? He first loved us. So the only way to love out is that you have to receive God's love in order to love out. It's a supernatural love, agape love, to be able to do that. It's a, a, the ability that gives you, that God gives you to love the enemies. Um, not, to be, not to like your enemies, but to seek the highest good for them. Okay, so in order to love properly, I have to be able to receive love properly. So what does that mean? How do you receive love from God? Do you know how to receive love from God? I know that's a communication with God. Yeah, prayer. What am I looking for? You, you got the prayer. You got the Word. You have the Holy Spirit. How do how how? Okay, the acceptance. There you go. Now you're on to it. Okay. So in order to receive love, you have to know how you get that love from God. So let me ask you this. Do you have to perform to get that love? Oh, okay. Are you sure? Okay, good. Because Christians who are performance-oriented perform for God, and when they mess up, think that God doesn't love them. And so they're in a game with God of, well, if I do good this week, then I know he'll love me, but if I had a bad week, then I know God doesn't like me. And that's how a lot of Christians play the game with God. And hence, if you're performance-oriented, you won't know how to receive love from God freely because you will think you have to buy his love through, his, through your performance. Okay? Well, I'm good this week, man. I didn't mess up this week. Me and God are like this. Right? That's performance because next week you're going to mess up like we all do. And you're going to, oh, man, he can't stand me. I didn't want to go to church. I feel so bad. Right? So now all of a sudden, if you catch yourself in a performance orientation with God, you don't know how to receive love. Do you really believe that in the darkest parts of your life that he still loves you? I hope so. I hope so. 
Because God loves you what we call unconditionally, which means this. He loves you despite the bad aspects of your life, despite the sin nature, despite all the issues. He still loves you unconditionally. Now, if you can accept that love, that he can love you despite the, your performance, then you're now learning what agape is, and you actually can receive it by grace. Therefore, it gives you then the ability to give love out unconditionally despite a person's bad stuff. Now, how do you know if you can give love out, if you understand the love with God, how will you see it evidenced in your life? It's whether or not you can give agape love to people you can't stand. That's when you'll know. Now, it doesn't mean I'm saying, I'm not saying you like them. I'm saying that you seek the highest good. You don't wish for their demise. You don't wish for, wish for their death. You don't wish that a truck would hit them or a lightning bolt would strike them or anything like that, right? Now, now I want you to think about this because if I can see that in my own life as I deal with people horizontally, then that will tell me whether or not I understand the kind of love that God's given me. That's how you'll know. If you have a hard time giving love to people who have faults, major, major, major faults, then you don't understand how God gives love. That's the problem. And so your love that gives to people will be based on performance. You do good to me, I'll love you back. You be perfect for me, I'll love you back. But you dare not make a mistake because I won't love you. That's how you'll know in relationship if you actually can receive the love of God properly. If you, if you, if you deal with people on performance-based, you don't understand the love of God. That's just the way it is. Well, the, the, the first thing is you need to empathize and sympathize with her, understand the plight she's in, and then, and then try to realize that, I, I, Mom, I'm, I don't know what, what, what it'd be like to be in that situation, but I can tell you what Jesus would say. And that's... So you don't want to give your own opinion in that situation. You want to you want to uh, resort to a higher authority when you're talking to your mom, not 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 give your opinion because your opinion doesn't matter, right? On a human level, only God's opinion matters. And you would have to say, Mom, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, Daryl, I do. Well, then you would want to obey Him, wouldn't you? Because He's the Creator of your life, and He's the only one that can give it or take it away. If you do that, mom, you will then play a part of trying to be God. And you're going to get yourself a loss of rewards if you do something like that. So, mom, I know you don't want to lose rewards for all eternity. Not your salvation, but your rewards. But do not go into a realm that only God says uh, is his and his alone. Otherwise, you will become a God unto yourself if you do self-murder. And so, um, and you can go on from there, maybe read some scriptures that refer to that. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Other scriptures that talk about, um, the, I, you know, I, I destined your day from the beginning to the end. Um, other things like that. But I would always, Daryl, punt it to what God says rather than what you say. 
Because you, you, at that point, you, you, have to, you have to speak Scripture to get to her heart. Um, and because the, the Scripture is the only thing that can actually penetrate the soul and the spirit. And so you speak the Scriptures, read those Scriptures to her, and let the Word work in her heart. And then after that, that's about all you can do at that point. She's going to do what she wants to do, but hopefully the Scriptures can reach down in there and convince her otherwise, I hope. Tough situation, man. I saw another hand right there. Yes. Camper. So you're a happy camper, okay? Yeah, I mean, you think that you're okay, right? And then you, you do with, uh, you know, you start looking at all these different principles, and you realize that, hey, maybe I'm not as happy as I think I am. And then you go, well, how do I deal? When you're looking at everything, you go, well, how do I deal with my hypocrisy, and how do I reconcile that? Well, do you understand what I'm yeah, trying to say? Yeah, so what, what starts happening is if you start doing work on yourself, um, what will happen is you will, you will get a true image of who you are. And um, hopefully it's, it's one thing at, at a time because if we saw all of how, all the stuff that we have, then it would probably collapse us. So God, what he does is reveal one thing at a time, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And so what God wants us to do is deal with the one thing at a time instead of pretending that we don't have it. So hypocrisy would be saying, I don't have that problem. But God's saying, yes, you do. And then a stubborn refusal would be, I'm not going to work on that area. Even though I know that area exists, it's too hard. I don't want to put the time in. It's too late for me. I'm not going to do that. And that becomes where disobedience starts coming in, is the attitude about it. So. What you have to do is take one thing at a time. What, what is the one thing he revealed? Well, I, I, he revealed this to me. Okay, then go ahead and fix it. He wants you to fix that. And what you see with God is he won't bombard you with a lot of things. He won't actually reveal more until you actually deal with what he wants you to deal with. This is where people get stuck. He reveals something to them, and they refuse to deal with it. Well, at that point, then, he's not going to reveal anything else in, in them. Why would he do that if they won't deal with the, the ABCs? And so the individual gets stuck there spiritually. Now, here's what will happen. They get stuck spiritually, but then their content level of their knowledge keeps going up. But their obedience level is here. So what happens when your obedience level is here and your knowledge keeps increasing? What do you think happens to you? Knowledge puffs up. So the game, the way the, the spiritual game is played is if God reveals something to you, then you are required to come up to that level of obedience. And then he'll reveal something else. Boom. And then you like, oh, okay. And i got to work up to that to be obedient to that. And then he'll keep just going up, and you have to keep following like this, and it's the order. The minute you arrest that, you will keep gaining knowledge, but then you'll be prideful. And so you have to be obedient to what you know and what is revealed to you in order to, to keep this, this spiritual walk going. If you do that, great. Everything, not everything's hunky-dory per se, but you'll be on the path of the abundant life. And every, every level you go up and meet that is freedom. Then you go up here and you meet that, freedom. You go up here and meet that, freedom. And so... The abundant life is getting more free and more free and more free as you obey. And once you start getting the grasp of it, 
The obedience becomes easier a lot of times because you realize the reward of it is freedom. You, you do, do not want to be controlled by things. You don't want to be controlled by substances. You don't want to be controlled by an attitude. You want to be controlled by fear. You don't want to be controlled by selfishness and all those other things. And so he starts breaking away. And then once you get a taste of the abundant life, it becomes something that you desire and you actually will start spiritually craving that. That's where spiritual hunger comes from. You get hungry because you get a taste of freedom. So when these people tell you, you know what, I, I just can't read the Bible, it makes me bored. <laughs> what they're saying is, translate, I have no spiritual hunger. I don't see a need for me to grow. That's why I don't read the Bible. That's how you translate that. Because let me ask you this, if you are physically sick and you, you're, I think I'm having a heart attack. I don't know, but I think I am. What would you do? You're going to run to the doctor. You're going to probably search on the internet before you get there. What do I have? Or whatever, what it might be, right? So you're searching on the phone in the ambulance. What do I have? Okay. <laughs> And you're there, you're going there. So within 10 minutes, you're, you're, I, I, doctor, I know what I have. I have these symptoms. It says that right on Google. And, and you've already self-diagnosed yourself going in there. But what, but notice the hunger to know what the problem is. Right? How come they, they can have hunger like that over medical conditions, but they have no hunger whatsoever for their spiritual condition? Well, it is ignorance. Yes, I know that. Um, but they're ignorant for a reason. They don't sense a need to know more because they figure they got this one. Put them in a difficult situation spiritually, it would probably liven up their hunger just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's why God will sometimes slam them on the ground to see if their hunger is going to come back to them. But this is why people don't, don't read the Bible. It's why they don't go to church. It's why they don't go to Bible studies. Because they don't have any spiritual hunger. Ah, I can take it or leave it. That's Laodicea. Take it or leave it. Oh, because you don't know what freedom really is. And if you got a taste of it, you would want more. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Any other questions before we do a, we got to do a break. Yeah, Steve. Here we go, right here. Somebody, a believer says they don't want to read the Bible because it scares them. Oh, it scares them. That, that's, that's the first question. The other question was, was you were talking about copy love and... A lot of men don't understand the Greek meaning of love, and that's yeah. they're afraid to show love to other men because they've been taught not to, yeah. and and uh, phileo love, and yet they can't grasp the agape love. They can just look at the women how they love children and family. God's given women that that blessing right there. Yeah, it's kind of what sometimes. Uh our family of origins do, or our culture, or, or the society we're in. Um, um, men are taught not to connect, actually, by society. So a lot of men don't know how to connect. They don't know how to connect, or even their wives. So a lot of wives will complain, I can't get, I can't get in, I can't connect to him. 
And it's because he's learned that from home or whatever, and they misunderstand the agape like you're saying. I seek the best. I seek to connect. I seek self-sacrifice. And so that becomes something that a lot of men have to overcome. If not, they remain disconnected even from their spouses. The second aspect was, um, what did you mean? Fear. Yes. Um, the reason they fear is because truth makes them afraid. And until they embrace the truth and realize it does bring pain, but it's necessary pain, it's redemptive pain, then they can embrace it. But if they're going to be afraid of pain, then that's not reality. It just doesn't exist in this world without pain. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.